right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, your daily home for Florida Gators coverage. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. You can also follow my co-host, Demetrius Harvey, at Demetrius82. Demetrius, say what's up to the people. What's up, everyone? I hope you enjoyed yesterday's episode. It was coming off of a Florida Gators victory, so I hope that you guys liked it a little bit more because we were more upbeat, we were more positive, and there was a lot to be positive about. And, you know, today we might go over a little bit more positive stuff along with some negatives that occurred today. Yeah, without a doubt. It was something that I honestly, I took Dan Mullen's word, and I'm a fool for doing so. I believed him when he said he didn't think there would be many other punishments, if any, coming, because that halftime brawl against Missouri led to ejections in the second half. Therefore, we thought, oh, maybe there won't be a first-half ejection or suspension against Georgia. That did not end up being the case, as Zachary Carter and Antoine Powell will both be suspended for the first half of that game. On top of that, Dan Mullen for his role, charging into the fight, yelling at the refs, and just the standard of everything that happened uh, with Florida's team led to a $25,000 fine for Mullen to pay. On top of that, Trey Williams, who had a flagrant unsportsmanlike conduct and was ejected from the game, will serve no additional penalty. However, Missouri will have three more players in linebacker Chad Bailey, offensive lineman Dylan Spencer, and... uh, defensive lineman Markel, and you're going to have to forgive me for this, but I believe Utsi will all be suspended for Missouri's first half against Georgia on November 14th after they serve a bye this week as they too got up in the action. So a lot of punishments to come from the SEC. Greg Sankey was certainly disappointed in the action he saw on the field, especially after or considering that this is happening during a pandemic. Just wasn't uh, healthy competition at that point, and it's not something that anyone wants to see happen again. Therefore, Mullen took his fine. He's happy with paying it, and they're going to try and move on. Yeah, I mean, pr- pretty much I've always sort of seen these player fights and everything happen, and historically, at least, if a player gets into a fight in one half of the game, they'll end up getting suspended for that half and then a half the next game. I mean, if it was if this occurred during the first half of the game, I feel as though they would have been suspended or not suspended, but they would have been ejected and out for the entire game. So for me, I wasn't too surprised. I was kind of surprised that Dan Mullen like instantly said there was going to be no, or he felt like there was going to be no further suspensions, nothing else. Like pretty much it was case closed. They shook hands at the end of the game and that was it. But that's just not how the SEC works. I mean, it never has has been. It just they've always levied fines. They've, le- I mean, look at last week. You have Lane Kiffin who retweets something and gets fined twenty five thousand dollars, and we've we've since learned that it'll be two point five million pennies, I believe it is, <laughs> for him to for him to turn in. So it just goes to show that the SEC doesn't play. And if they want to levy a fine to get some money, or if they want to levy some suspensions to earn back some more respect, I guess is what. You send know, that would be doing. Yeah, sending a message. Then they're going to do it. So I wasn't too surprised. And Dan Mullen came out with this statement saying, I respect the decision from the conference office as the head coach. It is my responsibility to diffuse these types of situations. And I didn't live up to that standard. Now, yeah, we are we are going to talk about the implications of the players missing. But with Dan's statement right there, like you just said, you mm-hmm. know, that good statement. Good, good thing for him to say, own up to it, and just go from there. So why did he get defensive immediately post game? It just it's it right. feels like 
the continual trend of bad PR by Dan Mullen by saying, I was trying to get our players off of the field when asked about his involvement in the stuff. Because you watch the video and you watch why the SEC find him. It's very clear that there was tension. There were guys arguing on the field. It went off because of Dan. Right. And that's that's the biggest issue that I have here is that, you know, Dan did come out with this statement and that's great, but that's sort of the statement that you should have given right after the game. And instead he kind of just said, no, he went out there to get his players back. When you can see on the video, he was yelling too. And it didn't look like he was yelling in the direction of his players. Now I don't want to assume too much, but like we said yesterday, it kind of looked like he was, you know, riling up a little bit. And he, he even came out, obviously he was fired up. He came out after right before halftime, came right back out and said, you know, tried to rile up the crowd. Like, Clearly, there was some sort of tensions that rose in Dan Moore, and it wasn't simply, hey, guys, let's get to the locker room. Let's let's end this. Why are you guys doing this? No, it was more like, I'm mad, too. Yeah, and, and it wasn't, and it was tough. To your- it was tough to tell based on the angle, too, so I don't want to definitively say who he was yelling at, but there were two people right in front of him. It was either the white cap or it was Trey Williams, and you could see... I believe it was Jeff Coat looking back at Mullen and looking back at players and kind of flexing. So you could see, like, players were going to take advantage of Dan being mad. Maybe it was at the refs, and Missouri kind of prompted him to continually be mad, and players, again, we we really can't make entire judgments of exactly what happened. But there is enough there to say, hey, Dan, you know what? Like, yeah, this, this was on you, buddy. It's, again... It's just been such a bad trend of PR. What a bad month. Hopefully, you got to hope that this fine right at the beginning of November kind of sets him straight. Right. And and just like we said yesterday, the optics that he's been putting out hasn't been that great. Now, I will give him credit that this this was a great way to respond, and he's done everything since then with class, and I feel as though, you know, he's been a – He's been a leader of his team, and he was able to take that energy and tell his team, you know, hey, let's let's get tight, and then look what happened in the second half. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, rail on him too much here. It's not as bad as some of his past actions or anything like that. This isn't anything supposed to be like a, a hit piece on Dan Mullen. That's it's fair, just, and I, I, don't, I don't mean it to mm-hmm. be. And, and like you said, yeah, absolutely right. T- today's statement, immediately taking ownership, good stuff. Um, and him and... Drinkwitz and both teams, like like you said, and like he said after the game, coming out and playing clean football, he did do the right things following. But it's more just with that trend of things that has happened with him. These are this could end up being just such a sore, sore month to look back upon. Looking just at Dan Mullen's tenure when it's all said and done here, maybe he's won a couple of national championships between now and then, but it's just not a good thing. Anyway, um, think, yeah. go ahead, and then we ju- we should talk about the players a little bit too. Yeah, uh, I just want to finish up with this, and then and then we'll transition to the players. But I, I just think that you know this month, yeah, it was it was uh, bad optics or whatever. But as as you move forward, pe- you know, people have short term memories, especially here in football life. Uh, so I think that this will be cleared up, and no one's going to even really care about it. You know, maybe even a few months from now, depending on how good the team is. But yeah, two players suspended. Go ahead, uh, Zach. Yeah, this is something that we could care about, and that being Zachary Carter not playing the first half could be a huge deal. They just got Kyrie Campbell back, and the defensive line looked good in the second half without Carter, but it's Georgia. This is not Missouri. And having Kyrie will help, but suddenly you're talking about getting T.J. Slayton more snaps again. Uh, You're going to see a lot more probably Gervon Dexter, uh, Marlon Dunlap. 
Maybe more Prince and Malin because he got in and we saw some bend out of him. I do want to see him play more because I think he's ready to. I think he's big enough. Um, but losing Carter, he's a guy we've talked about throughout the year. Just not a good thing for the start of the Georgia game. No, that's a huge stink. And and you don't want that, especially just after you got Kyrie Campbell back. Your, your defensive line is finally pretty much where you would expect it to be when you first entered the season. Now you have another setback. So this is going to be a big blow for the first half of the game. And uh, we shouldn't undersell this. This isn't something that's simple. Simply put, Zachary Carter was probably their most consistent player on the defensive line. In my opinion, him, between him and Britton Cox, probably are the most consistent players along the defensive line. And it just goes to show you, you know, how important a guy like him is, especially in disruption and pass rush and, you know, getting after the running back, tackles for a loss. He already has three this season, one and a half sacks. It's just this is not something that's going to be easy to get over. But luckily they do have Kyrie Campbell back who has been known to play sort of that inside outside now, at least. I, I mean, from what I saw last game, he was playing a little bit more outside in the four eye, you know, somewhere around there and then going back inside. So maybe they'll have to be more flexible there. From Princely, the action or Dexter game. And the more Dexter only played three or 13 snaps last game, so maybe his snap count in the first half will go up a little bit. But this is going to be a big blow. And then um, there was an, another linebacker who was – there was a linebacker who suspended Antoine Powell, who's more of a backup guy. But, you know, it, it, they're going to have to hope – yeah, a freshman. They're going to have to hope that being able to overcome this, at least in the first half, maybe they'll have, they'll have to be a little bit more creative. Yeah, Carter and Cox, like you mentioned, they've probably been their best two. So far, besides Campbell, mm-hmm. but he's only played one game. Uh, but Cox, you know, he's been a specialist, especially as a pass rusher, and he really came on against Missouri. But you talk about a three-down player, and the guy's consistently been Carter. So that is suddenly Kyrie Campbell. You're very fortunate you've got a game under his belt because he has just become substantially more important against Georgia, especially in that first half. When we come back, we are going to be talking a little bit more about what we saw from Missouri uh, on both sides of the ball. We'll talk a little bit more about Campbell and the defensive line, as well as Brenton Cox. But in this first segment, we're going to talk about Kadarius Toney, the madman, the guy who, yeah, we talk about Kyle Pitts all the time. But you know what? This dude has been, I think, the most exciting pass catcher in Florida's offense this season. Uh, maybe a hot take, but what he's able to do with the ball in his hands is just its incredible. So we're going to talk about him and the top receivers in the SEC, where he stands there after these messages. Do you guys ever feel as though you're always on? Don't you want just a moment to relax and chill? It's been difficult this year, especially with everything going on, social issues and the expectations to be on 24-7 with families and friends. Sometimes you need a breather, and especially with the Gators this season, it can be stressful. That's why Coors Light is the perfect cold one to open up. Saturdays are a time to chill. Watching Florida football and relaxing with Coors Light that's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, literally made to chill. I personally love the refreshing taste. It makes me chill out, relax a little bit, and enjoy the day. I know one thing. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and a new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly with Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kadarius Tony, he scored three touchdowns against Missouri, two at the end of the second half, both receiving, and the third being a rushing touchdown. 
He showed off his explosion, his elusiveness, his ability to make guys miss. And Demetrius, you and I were talking about that before the show. It was just like we, we couldn't even put a number on how many missed tackles we think he's forced. It's it's just crazy what he's able to do with the ball in his hands. And I think he truly is one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous receiver in America. Not necessarily the best, but I you just you can put the ball in Terrace Marshall's hands or Devonta Smith's hands and they can make things happen. But none of them can just drop your jaw like Kadarius Tony does regularly. Absolutely. Kadarius Tony to me is probably if you had to rank, I, I believe the he came out. What was the award that that came out today? I, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I think it was like an honor roll you that put came me out on today the spot, for the most explosive players. You, Do you, you remember put me that? on the spot? Keep going, and I will find it. All right, good. All right, but he's he's one of the most explosive or electric mm-hmm. players or versatile players mm-hmm. in football right now. It's just it's one of those things where once he gets the ball in his hands. I don't know if the the guy in front of him is going to tackle him, and, th- and that's rare. You don't see that usually. If if a guy catches the football, there's a guy right there. Maybe he'll miss, but if there's two guys there, you're like, okay, he's going down. To, on Missouri, I didn't get to see it live, but I saw the the, the replays or the the highlights right after the play happened because I saw people going crazy about Kadarius Tony, and I just dropped my jaw. I was like, how did this guy get out from three? Not not one or two, but three Missouri defenders who were draped on. There was a guy literally on top of him, and he ducks under or does some crazy voodoo stuff. And I can feel a lot more safe. How you can feel you can feel a lot more safe about Kadarius Tony going down when you got four guys on him or like forming a literal wall (laughs) around him with their arms linked, and maybe he'll still find a way out of that. They had the Great Wall of China around him, and they still couldn't <laughs> bring him down. I don't understand. And so I will, those are the type of things that he can do. I will let you know it was the Paul Hornung Award honor roll for the most versatile player in the nation. Most versatile player in the nation. I think he deserves it. He's one of those players who you, you can put in the backfield. You can do whatever you want, but he's a receiver this year. And that's kind of why we're sort of – we're eating crow we're, because we're we both talked about him in the offseason as like an, a projection towards the NFL as a running back. Maybe a team will. I said, a, I said one. a scat back. Like I could still see the vision there if he hadn't emerged mm-hmm. as a receiver, but now like you, you will be forced to play him in the slot. He's. A, I, I mean, I kind of, the I draft kind of network like came out today and teased that he might be a top 100 prospect in their next uh, big board update. Which is insane. I I would have put him at in the seventh round as a scat back kind of running back who. He might make a team. He, you know, we'll see what he does in the preseason type of thing. But no, this this guy, punt returner, kick returner, you put him out there, any any receiver position almost, and put him in that running back. He can do it all, and uh, that just speaks to how much of a growth he was able to take and how serious he clearly took this offseason. But you know, me and Zach were talking about some of the top receivers. Um, Zach, do you want to go ahead and and just sort of you know list out some of the guys and, and we can kind of yeah. like look at where maybe Tony ranks. Yeah, without a doubt. You and I are both big draft guys, and we know last year was like a historically deep draft class. And I don't know if we'll see the exact same thing this year, but you know what? It might be close. It's another crazy, crazy stacked class at the position. And just even within the SEC, I mean, there's five or six guys mm-hmm. that are super impressive and, and even more that are still really good. But if you had to create a tier – you could really argue five or six guys that, or a list of tiers. You could argue five or six guys that deserve to be in that top one. 
Um, and I'm not including Jalen Waddle right now because he's hurt. Obviously, as a talent, he he is in that top tier. Uh, but I'm just going off of mm-hmm. SEC receivers that are playing right now. Devonta Smith's in that tier. Uh, Terrace Marshall Jr., Alabama and LSU, respectively there. Seth Williams of Auburn's been really good. You know, he gets hurt by Bo Nix not being too consistent. But when he's on, he's on. Dude's a deep threat. We've seen Elijah Moore. I mean, a guy that, you know, you can trust him to put up 200-yard performances more than once. You don't say that often about anyone in any position doing anything except playing quarterback. So you've got him. You've got Tony. Um, that's five. Demetrius, I'm blanking on the sixth, unless that, unless I was just going with five. John John Mechie, the the John Mechie. I, I don't know I probably, yeah. or Michi, I Mechie, probably am I butchering his his last name, but it doesn't really matter. Of uh, Alabama the third. too, yeah. And he, and he to me is almost a spitting image of Jalen Waddle. So Jalen Waddle goes down uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then all of a sudden they don't miss a beat because they have this guy, and so he he's definitely up there. I don't necessarily want to say he's like the top wide receiver, but it's hard to discount him considering he has. 24 receptions, 517 yards, and three touchdowns already. And he was clearly their third wide receiver target, you know? Yeah, it's just that I guess maybe because he's so new. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess you could argue that with KT because we haven't seen him play at this level before. But we've seen flashes of it before. That's where I kind of give him an edge over Mechie. It's been, you know, what, five or six games for Bama this year. And he was going off a bit before Waddle got hurt. And now he's just in a role where he's going to be force-fed even more targets. And as long as he keeps up what he's doing, like I've got no issue saying he belongs in that first tier too. It's just I do want a little bit more sample size. Yeah, and 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 I'd be remiss. I don't think we mentioned him. South Carolina, Shai Smith. He, yeah. Now he's a little bit smaller. He's a little bit of a smaller guy. I think he's around five nine, um, something around there. And but he's a great player out of the slot. He can make some plays. He puts up numbers. Right now he's at 36 receptions, 415 yards, three touchdowns. And let's not pretend like the South Carolina offense is that great. So it it, it it's definitely a a shining class, especially within the SEC. And we, I mean, I believe that Kadarius Tony, from what he's put up this year and just how just how he's made the plays that he has alone, it should put him around that, you know, five or six, you know, mark. Like, he should at least be in the conversation. Now, obviously, we already talked about Elijah Moore, Devontae Smith, Terrace Marshall. Maybe those guys are, like, clearly ahead of him because of not only other traits as his size, speed, especially Just all, like, speed. complete uh, receiver traits. Because, like, yeah, KT, right. you know, he's made some really nice catches this year. But, you know, we're not going to trust him like Kyle Pitts, putting him on the boundary one-on-one with a press corner to go up and get a 50-50. Absolutely not, and that's not his game. And I've actually seen people compare him, trying to compare him to Percy Harvin. I don't see that at all. I can understand why because of the explosive plays that they make and everything like that, but Percy Harvin is completely different. You know, Percy was more of a guy who was extremely fluid, and it looked like he was running at 100% every single down. Um, He was a special player, and KT is a special player too, but for different reasons. You know, he's going to make people miss. It doesn't look like he's ever running at 100% because he's just – trying to outjuke everybody on the field, which he usually does. Um, he's a human joystick, like people have said, and I think that he's a special player, and the Gators are going to love him for the remainder of this year. And, you know, maybe he's going to – no, he's not going to come back. But you you never know. We'll see. It's an untimed, untimed down year. I just coined that. I like that. Mm-hmm. When we come back, we're going to yeah. be switching over to the defensive side of the ball. We want to talk more about this defensive line, Kyrie Campbell, Brenton Cox – 
uh, what we can expect from Cox, especially in a game that will be personal for him. His first against his former Georgia Bulldogs this coming Saturday after these messages. What's up, everyone? This is Zach Goodall, host of the Lockdown Gators podcast. And I'll tell you what, being a sports journalist, doing what I do every day, I do need a lot of energy. I'm a guy that's always drank coffee, but recently it's just not been getting it done for me in order for me to break through my wall, which is why I've been going towards Built Go as a replacement for any other energy drink, because it's a lot more healthy. It's brought to you by the same folks that brought us Built Bar, my favorite protein bar that we've talked about plenty here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's great because not only does Built Go bring you energy, but it also gives you protein. It's also loaded with vitamins uh, such as B6 and B12, 10,000% of your daily value, and other great things, including collagen protein that's fast absorbing to get into your system fast. Plus, it's easy on your stomach when you've got a long day ahead, filled with work where you really need this energy. It comes in three great flavors, my favorite being the peanut butter honey. It's got a kick of caffeine, and it's only 1.5 ounces in each package. So it's easy to carry around, easy to take with you whenever you need it. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Let's break through those walls. So we touched on it last night and a little bit at the start of the show, just how important Kyrie Campbell is to this defensive line. His return to the field and what he was able to do against Missouri and how much more important he will be without Zachary Carter. Uh, Demetrius, you mentioned it, and we and I had seen it too, playing a little bit of end, playing for I. Without Carter, you know, we'll want to see him still at nose because it opens up things for linebackers and the guys on the edge, but I'd figure he will step out there a lot more and we'll see Slayton continue to play more. I mean, he was doing, what, 50-some snaps a game before, and he was down to 32 against Missouri. We saw him make some big plays in the second half because he was energized. That does become a worry, but at least you do have Campbell in the fold next to him. Yeah, I think that that's one of the biggest things. I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, but getting a guy like Campbell back in there, you just saw how important he was to the defensive line. And I know we touched on it yesterday in terms of, what we talked about, but, you know, there could be some new listeners here. I believe that we always get new listeners every every day almost. So it, it, he just he, – he may he, ha, he has an impact that transcends exactly what his position entails. So he's not just going to be making an impact on what he needs to do, but the guys around him. I mean, just look how fast the Gators looked flying off the ball along the defensive line. Look how much Brenton Cox was able to, you know – He's not worried about the guy next to him too much because he knows that he has a guy like Kyrie Campbell, a guy like Zach Carter inside. Obviously, Zach Carter's not going to play for the first half, but he'll play in the game. And just looking at how much of an impact a guy like Kyrie Campbell can take or can make and take on a couple blocks, open up guys, and it it was just impressive to see. And his versatility this year is, you know, maybe we've only seen the, the tip of the iceberg of that. So, We'll see what happens in this week, but the the Gators' defensive line all together yesterday looked incredible. They were getting pressure, but they were not only getting pressure, they were actually bringing the quarterbacks down. They weren't losing contain. It seemed like just an overall better performance from this Gators' defense. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Everybody was flying to the ball. It was beautiful. It was exactly what I expected from SEC defense, and you know, I feel I feel vindicated. I was I was upset a few weeks ago. You guys heard and. It just—it was just fantastic to see this. Finally, we got to see some good defense being played. You mentioned two things: Brenton Cox Jr. and pressure. 
he brought that all night long against Missouri, and he's brought that throughout the season. We've seen him play too much in pass rush mode throughout the year, hurting him against the run, but we saw improved play there. He seemed a lot more well-rounded and just explosive. I'm going to want to see what he does against Georgia. I really need to see what he can do against good competition because it's all still poolsy and bad competition. But we've got to be encouraged in a game where he said at the beginning of the year it will be personal for him. Uh, he's going to be very, very pumped up to play Georgia, after, especially not playing them last year when he couldn't get eligible. He's been waiting for this. He really has, and, and, and you're right. He said that exactly in his first press conference that he had with us. I'm not sure that we'll get him this week. We probably will, or I don't know. We'll Maybe see. if he has but a good game, I would almost guarantee we have him after. We would at least have him after, which which would maybe be better, actually, because we kind of already heard his pre-Georgia press conference. I mean, we asked him a few questions about Georgia already. We'll see. But anyways, during his first press conference, he says it definitely it definitely will be personal. I just can't wait to play him in Jacksonville. Can't wait to get that W. And, you know, that's something that obviously every player would normally say, but I, it, it's a little different when you're a five-star player and you expect it to be able to play some downs for Georgia football, you know, well, well, especially because his com- the way he left there is still so up in the air. There was the rumors mm-hmm. that he, or the reports that he was dismissed. Uh, there was the marijuana incident that was back in uh, April. But, you know, Kirby Smart also came out and said he wasn't dismissed. He chose to leave as to luck to you. So I guess we'll never know. But, I mean, right. Brent, to Brenton, there's something there that makes it a little personal. There might be there might be a little bitterness, and you know that's good. Now he'll be able to go out there and prove, you know, hey Kirby, you shouldn't have let me go because look at me, and then look at your guys on, on the other side. Not to say that George doesn't have guys on the other side, but it 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 just goes to show, you know, a five star player obviously he thinks highly of himself as he should. He wears number one for Florida now. He feels as though he's earned that number one, and that's what he has to show. Now the stats don't necessarily back up what kind of impact Brent Cox has had, and I've I've been a little critical. I mean, I don't know how much critical you can actually be about a guy who's just kind of doing his job, but because he's a five star player, because he's wearing number one, I've always expected him to get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback, get more sacks, get more impact plays, and he did all that against Missouri. He has one and a half sacks this year, and that doesn't seem like a lot. But it, it it really doesn't show, unless you watch the games, you can't really see exactly what kind of an impact he has. He had at least three or four plays where it was just all him. I, I know the end around, the trick play that, that they did, I believe in the first half, they also had another play where he got in there. Um, I know that there was one things. play that... He's good. He can set right. up things for other people. Right, and and, and there, were, there was one play where he had the face mask, and uh, but he made the play too. So it's just... A mixture of those things where he's able to get in there and make an impact, and Florida's going to be uh, very happy to use him along with Jeremiah Moon, Chris Vogel, all these other players who are going to come off the edge. Yeah, D, and there's a stat also that I want to point out with Brenton Cox, and like you said, he's getting pressure. We just do want to see him finish more. But according to PFF, and I'm not sure exactly how accurate they are on Zachary Carter's pressure count, and granted, their early grades usually have to be changed a little bit after their first watch, which I don't really approve of, but that's besides the point. They say Zachary Carter hasn't recorded a pressure in the past two games, and I thought I saw some against Missouri myself, in that he currently has 10 on the season, ranking second on the team. Number one is Cox. He has 22. <laughs> double Carter. More than double Carter. He's averaging over five per game. So 
Yeah, he's he's getting into the backfield. He is disrupting the quarterback. And granted, we've seen quarterbacks throw pretty fast against this defense, maybe because they know Cox can get there and they can just take what UF's been giving them in recent games, until the Missouri game at least. Uh, but as he turns the corner, because, and this is something we don't really think about because this is his third year in college football, but Brandon Cox is still a young football player in football age. He had one start and otherwise was a limited use uh, player as a freshman, although he did get playing time as a freshman at Georgia. Then he misses an entire year. So this was his fourth, fifth career start, fourth start at Florida this past week, and we started to see the explosion. So people have been critical at times, myself included, wanting to see him play a little bit more of a balanced game. But maybe it's just because of that playing age, and he's finally starting to come on. But with wanting to see him against bigger competition, here we go against his his team or his old team it's it's the week to do it and this could really be the week that unless he still has some growing to do that starts to tell us what the Gators have in Brenton Cox especially if he can start turning more of these pressures into finished plays absolutely I think that that's that's the case and once he starts to actually put everything together then you'll see that number one why he wears number one, why he's such a big playmaker in the Gators' defense. They give it to only two guys on the team. Used to be only one guy, I feel like, but maybe I'm wrong. You you guys can let me know if I'm wrong there. Now there's two, and Brent Cox is one of them. Kadarius Tony is another. We talk about both those guys, and we're going to see both those guys play against Georgia, and they're going to be one, two of the top players on the field in action for Florida Georgia Week. We can't wait to keep previewing that game and talk about those guys and more. So make sure to stick around with us at the Lockdown Gators podcast by subscribing just about anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Lockdown Gators. And never miss an episode by following us on Twitter, myself at Zach underscore Goodall, Demetrius at Demetrius82, and of course, the main account at Lockdown Gators. We'll catch up with you guys next time.